John Barry Meacham. This is a name that I think everyone needs to add to their list of real American heroes. And he is the hero of the story you're about to hear in this episode. My name is John Delore. I'm an editor on this podcast, and I'm really happy that we are revisiting this episode here during Black History Month, because as you all know, this is a show about places, but specifically it's about the places that might get looked over or passed by in the travel guides. And this episode got me thinking about how history books kind of function the same way. The big events and the big characters get full chapters, but there's a whole set of quiet local events and people who get left out. And the story of the Floating Freedom School is that kind of story. It happens on the periphery of the map, on the edge of St. Louis, out in the Mississippi River, and it's happening on the edge, the periphery of a larger historical movement. And so it's the kind of story that we need to find and share so that the Floating Freedom School and the Reverend John Barry Meacham are more widely known about. So without further ado, enjoy the Floating Freedom School. If you were a black child in 1840s Missouri, in order to get to school, you'd have to come here, to the river shoreline. The city of St. Louis sits right on the Mississippi River. And in the middle of that river, there used to be a steamboat. On that steamboat was a rather unusual school. If you were a student at the school, You'd take a little skiff across the river to board the boat. The Mississippi River would be the backdrop for all of your lessons. It may sound like something out of a children's storybook, but this steamboat school was actually an ingenious way of getting around a racist law. I'm Johanna Mayer, and this is Atlas Obscura a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we remember the Floating Freedom School and the man who founded it. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. 
Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. If you were a person living in Missouri in the 1820s, there's a good chance you'd have heard of John Barry Meacham. He owned two brick houses in St. Louis and a farm right across the river in Illinois. He'd make good money in the barrel-making and steamboat businesses. He was skilled in carpentry. He made cabinets. But that was only one side of John. He had this sort of uh, secret life that... uh, the good white people obviously didn't know about. <laughs> Gwen Moore is curator of urban landscape and community identity at the Missouri Historical Society. And it says a lot about his character, too, that he was able to negotiate this hostile white world, and he used that goodwill to help other African Americans. John was born into slavery in 1789 in Virginia. His family was split apart and he was taken to Kentucky. He always wanted to be free, and he wanted to reunite his family. And eventually, he was able to do just that. Slaves were never idle, you know? Never idle. (laughs) They were agricultural slaves, and there was no planning or reaping to do. They were hired out. And he was able to hire out and worked in a a, a saltpeter cave, salt mine, an actual salt mine, and was able to earn enough money to actually buy his freedom. He was 23 years old at the time. Left Kentucky, went all the way back to Virginia. Some people say he walked, which I find almost unbelievable. But he went back to Virginia and liberated his father, then came back to Kentucky. He'd returned to Kentucky intending to free his wife and children, But when he arrived, he learned they'd been sold to someone in St. Louis. So that's where John headed next. He was able to track him down and buy his family's freedom, and they settled in the city. Now, John and his family were part of a different class of Black folks. They were free. But John's work wasn't done. There was this hierarchy and there was this class division, but they always saw that their fates were tied to that of the enslaved. They always realized that. And they realized that they had to help each other. They had to help help their enslaved brothers and sisters become free. In 1829, John started the very first black church in the city of St. Louis. He was a minister there. Soon after that, he started that Some people call it the Candle Tallow School. Some people call it the Tallow Candle School. (laughs) The Candle Tallow School, or Tallow Candle School, was in the basement of his church. And they said the reason it was called that because it was in the dark, in the basement, and they didn't want the, the sheriff to be able to see what they were doing down there. Because this was a time when, of course, a lot of enslavers were very nervous about slave rebellions. So they, you know, that that put most of the slave owners (laughs) in a tizzy, and so, you know, they were very suspicious. They didn't want black people to be educated, because, you know, you can see that, you can see why, you know. (laughs) John Barry Meacham was a person who knew how to circumvent systems, how to play the game, and how to beat it. 
without attracting unwanted attention. In private, John's house was a depot on the Underground Railroad, and in public, he also made some bold moves. He'd show up at the old courthouse in downtown St. Louis, sidle up right next to the old white men in the crowd, and bid at the slave auctions. He'd train the people he bought in skills at his businesses, and then they'd go free. This was his life's work, empowering and freeing his community. But racist hurdles kept getting in his way. In 1847, a law came down banning the education of all Black people, free or enslaved. But if you think a racist law was going to stop him, then you don't know John Barry Meacham. Like I said earlier, St. Louis is right on the Mississippi River. And the thing about rivers is they're not governed by a particular state. They're technically federal spaces, which means Missouri's new law banning the education of Black people didn't apply to the river. John saw this loophole, and he knew exactly what to do with it. The story goes, he took a steamboat that he'd used for his business, and he anchored it on a sandbar in the middle of the river between Missouri and Illinois. And on that steamboat, he built a school for Black children, a school that the state of Missouri and its discriminatory law couldn't shut down. He called it the Floating Freedom School. The steamboat was stocked with a library, classrooms. Historians believe that word of the Floating Freedom School spread, and teachers came from cities beyond Missouri and Illinois to join the effort. They were there, on that riverboat, to welcome the students who were ferried across the river in skiffs. Now, Gwen Moore from the Missouri Historical Society says that there is one caveat here. I just want to mention that, you know, some historians have questioned the Freedom School, the floating Freedom School. Historians, they want to be able to verify everything. Sometimes that's difficult when you're dealing with African-American history because so much of our A lot of our tradition, especially during this period, was very, very oral. A school like this would have been secret, of course. And just because you don't have it in some document doesn't mean that it didn't happen. So I just wanted to put that out there. I, for one, believe it's true. Gwen told me there's a number of reasons she believes that John Barry Meacham created the Floating Freedom School. Well, first of all, we know he owned a steamboat. That's documented. We know that he had this business where he supplied other steamboats food and other supplies. He made a great deal of, it was very profitable. We know that he was very much invested in education. We know that because he he had that clandestine school in the basement of his church, which he knew would get him in trouble. There's also additional proof, like the fact that the famous activist James M. Turner's bio on the African-American registry says that he was a student at the school. Take all of these things together, and they seem to point in the same direction. So it makes sense to me that this man who was so invested in education that he was able to take all those risks. And here he had an opportunity. He had this successful business. He had this steamboat. He knew that he was, it would be beyond the authority of the state of Missouri. It makes sense that he would operate a school. When I think of the Floating Freedom School, 
I imagine little kids trying not to get their feet wet as they climb into the skiff and cross the river. I can picture a teacher pacing the rickety wooden floorboards of the steamboat. I imagine the steamboat looking quiet and still from the outside and just humming with questions and answers and the sounds of scratching on slate on the inside. And I can imagine John Barry Meacham standing on the deck, smiling, with the shores of Missouri and its laws just out of reach. I'm amazed by what people were able to accomplish living under this very brutal, repressive system. I mean, he accomplished things that white males with privilege were not able to accomplish. That tells you a lot about him. I mean, he was doing all of this under the noses. (laughs) John died in 1854 in the pulpit of the church he founded. Reading his obituary, the white newspapers was pretty laudatory on the things that they said about him. They were really impressed with what he was able to accomplish. The St. Louis Globe Democrat wrote, He was industrious, energetic, enterprising. The deceased was no ordinary man. Imagine if they'd known the whole story. Gwen says it's likely the Floating Freedom School shut down when John died. I'm from around St. Louis, and I'd never heard of John or his steamboat school. I learned about it by chance just a few months ago when I was working on a different Missouri episode for this show. But once I looked around, I realized that John Barry Meacham's name and legacy are all over. St. Louis University has a scholarship named after him. There's a mural painted downtown, commemorating the spot where John's wife, Mary, helped a group of enslaved people cross the Mississippi River into Illinois. And then there's his church, First Baptist Church, the oldest black church in the city of St. Louis, which is still around today. The Floating Freedom School may be lost to time, but the river where it was anchored is still very much there. So next time you're in St. Louis, head downtown to where the Arch Monument is. There's a park. It's right on the river. Maybe bring a picnic. And take a moment to just sit there. Look out over the river and imagine the floating Freedom School. Special thanks to Gwen Moore. And if you want to hear the other episode about Missouri that I mentioned earlier, it's episode number 240 called Bloody Island. It's all about another way that people use the Mississippi River to get around the laws of the land. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, check out atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And I'm Johanna Mayer, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time.
Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money.